HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, we're celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half of your host, Darren Bresnitz. This week, we are in one of our favorite cozy corners of California's central coast, Los Alamos. We sit down with husband and wife, Daisy and Greg Ryan, who traded the fine dining environment of New York City for a cute little French bistro in one of our favorite cities in the world. Then, we are back in Silver Lake at the legendary Dangerbird Records Studios, sitting down with Fiddler, who are playing songs off their debut album, Downey, which is a candid and personal look at growing up in Southern California. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, Snacky Tunes.
Hello, welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. We are up here uh, in Los Alamos with Daisy and Greg Ryan of Bells. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Daisy, you are the chef. Greg, you get the likes and then keep the lights on as well as the uh, GM owner. Both yeah. owners, but manager and chef, respectively. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's level step for everyone. What is Franch? F-R-A-N-C-H. You can kind of look at it two ways. Uh, it started as kind of a, a joke between uh, Daisy and I and our, and our pastry chef, Sarah, of this relationship between French and ranch out here. Mm-hmm. So it actually, you can go two ways. You can call it French, okay. which is what we call it typically. But there's also the other idea of calling it French. French. So, but for us, we like to think of it as like French ranch style yeah. out here. So we were a little worried about how the local people would adapt to traditional French style things. So we tried to uh, make it a little more approachable, you know. And it works, and it's a good, uh, it's a good easy way in. It's a real eye catcher. It, it, it ended up being something that felt very natural, and also people ask questions because they're like, "What does this? What does this say? The back of your shirt say very French." Or like we like we don't know how to like uh, describe a dressing or a vinaigrette. We're just like oh, it's a French, it's a French vinaigrette, it's a French vinaigrette. Yeah. You, you don't have that. The, you don't know uh, that? the Albertsons. You don't yeah, have that. exactly. Uh, yeah. And so it was just trying to this idea of like this type of cuisine out in an area that has that kind of ranch life. Like if we're in the country. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Daisy, you grew up around here, right? I did. Yeah, I grew up in. Um, this is all the San Inez Valley, but I grew up in uh, in San Inez, and uh, from the time I was five till I was seventeen, and then left, and now I'm back. Now you're back. And what was it like <laughs> growing up? Because now the Central Coast is such a tourist destination, especially for people like from LA or for people outside of California. But growing up, you know, a decade ago, two decades ago, what was it like? Um, I mean, it was uh, obviously smaller. Everything gets larger with time. But, um, you know, it was still very much a wine community. My mom even worked for some of the local wineries. And, uh, you know, lovely. Uh, I don't know what weather is because it was always beautiful. And it's, you know, growing up in the country. And my whole uh, extended family is in Los Angeles. So Mm. I spent a lot of time there still. Um, But, you know, it's a small town. Your parents are a big part of the community up here, right? Uh, they've become they've become so. I mean, my father wouldn't have it any other way. Everybody <laughs> knows him and doesn't forget him for better for worse. Um, but yeah, they were local. We started a business or uh, when I was eight, and um, so they became business owners in the community. And then during El Nino, we lost that business, and that was kind of a it was a big thing. People will still remember that in the Valley. And what was the business? Um, it's called Eye of the Day. It's a garden design center, mm-hmm. and it still is in existence. They just moved south to Carpinteria. Got it. So, yeah. Um, now, you both have backgrounds in fine dining. Uh, what pulled you into the fine dining or even the cooking world? When did food start to creep in as a profession for both of you? Um, well, for me, um, while my parents are in the garden design business, right. uh, food was always a big part of our lives. And my parents actually... Um, applied to culinary school when I was five and were accepted. Uh, the last minute decided not to go. But um, so as I, um, I was never a good student and was having a hard time finding a way in a normal university or community college. And um, I realized that I was always happiest when I was in restaurants. I was mm. working as a waitress at the time and decided, hey, I love cooking. I like being in restaurants. I'm going to go to culinary school. And uh, so I went to the CIA in New York and just, legend, legendary. 
Legend, total legend. Um, yeah, it is very pretty. It's very pretty. Yeah, it's very pretty. Yeah. And for you, how'd you? Uh, get for me, uh, I, after I was going to, co- I started cooking um, when I was a senior in college. I think is when I started to get kind of more interested in, in cooking in general. Uh, and then, kind of as the old adage goes, like I was ready to go to law. I was going to law school. I was going sure. to go to law school. Everyone, everyone's got that story. Uh, I had kind of like a quarter life crisis and decided I didn't really want to feel like doing that. Yeah. And um, was not really sure what to do. I grew up on a, a grass seed farm in Oregon, and so there was this idea of like just trying to do something kind of on on, on my own, but also very much I really enjoy that kind of physical work that kind of gets involved as well as kind of troubleshooting and and restaurants seem to be something that I I really liked and so I went to culinary school uh, in Portland and then after that ended up making my way to New York. So what was it like, what was the gravitational pull working in the restaurant world of New York, especially coming as outsiders? Did you feel that you had to put your New York years in to sort of say that I work in the the chef and restaurant world? Uh, I don't know for either of us if it was that. I think Greg Greg ended up there um, with his um, ex-wife, you know, and they moved there together, and um, that's kind of how you ended up there. Yeah, I mean, for for us, for me, for New York, it was like, at that time, I was living in Portland, and I really wish one to see what what, what my ceiling was. Yeah. You're just like, if there's no better place in, in the country, at least that time, in like early 2000s oh yeah to be like let's go I just want to see what I feel like I'm pretty good at this I really enjoy it and let's go see what we can what we can do yeah I mean New York in the early early 2000s through 2000 I'll say 10 and Brooklyn as I said in that really was I felt the epicenter of the culinary scene in America yeah I mean I mean I remember when I went to go to culinary school I remember saying to my mom the second don't let me stay there I don't want to stay in New York I want to come back to California but um, spending every weekend in the city, and it was just like when I graduated, oh. why would I? Why would I go anywhere else? It was so know? good. What a yeah. what a fun time to be in New York. Yeah, yeah, Sorry, I just went somewhere real quick. I had a quick memory. Um, now you guys cooked a lot of places, but one of the most famous places you went up was Per Se, which is if you want to talk about ceiling, hard work, can you survive at a restaurant under such a legendary chef as Thomas Keller? That must have been quite the experience to really see. Am I cut out for this? Yeah, it. it Definitely is like we kind of consider it like graduate school. Um, yeah, in no, restaurants, that's fair. And it's the people that we met, and obviously we met each other there. And yeah. the people how'd you two meet? Who saw who across the room? Were you folding napkins? Oh, Greg! Greg thought I, um, Greg thought I was a uh, lesbian when he I thought you were lips, me. a lipstick lesbian. Lipstick lesbian. Yeah. Um, Great pickup line. Yeah, and, and, yeah. Uh, I was get, I was my first day training. She was finishing a private event job. Yeah, I started there first. And uh, I remember elevators closing and someone walking down with a flannel shirt and cowboy boots. And, and I was like, Bose headphones. There the she is. One. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. You're like, there she is. Yeah. Wrong team, but there she is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but then you guys were working together? Yeah, yeah, it was a very, at that time, it was right before the recession. Um, mm, another great time. Another great time. Yeah. 2006, Fine Dining New York was yeah. just... Wild. Yeah, because the rich are always rich, recession or not. And yeah, so, yeah. per se, we did fine through it. But at, at that time, we had started you know, a couple months prior. And um, when the recession hit, the restaurant laid off, um, I don't know, 20 people. And we made it through that layoff. Mm. And um, after the next year, it was really a tight crew. You know, we all work six days a week. Um, and 
that's all we did was work with each other, see each other. Um, and and those other people we were working with are our best friends still. And, um, and as you know, as it goes, like, everyone's in uniforms. And then once everyone, like, goes back into civilian clothes, back okay. down to the bar, there's always, like, a much lever, like a higher level of, like, hotness. Oh, yeah. You know, where you're like, oh, like, you know, she's been in a suit and tie all day long. And then, you know. So, can you really share helps. no names no names but do you have any stories from that era of dining or something that you remember that was like absolutely wild oh yeah I mean like uh, <laughs> there was a really good incident between the um, wine director at the time and uh-huh. the chef de cuisine that might be a little um, <laughs> and, you know just uh, there's a lot of yelling a lot of words the uh, there was once there was once uh, a time where I was in a full on Congo line with some fairly uh, impressive uh, musicians mm. they had had a party in the private dining room and there was about five, 50 of us and they had closed like the main dining room had closed this party was still going on and at some point there was a decision to start playing uh, some Congo line music and so there was about 50 of us that went through all the whole dining room into the kitchen, <laughs> into the um, into the back into the private dining room. There was a mariachi band at one point. They may or may not be considered American royalty. They possibly could. Um, you know, it's funny because you think of like when you walk into first day or something like that, it feels really stuffy. Yeah. But like for private events, I feel that all bets are off a little bit. Yeah, yeah when yeah, people you, spend that kind of money. Like, they feel like it's sure. their own, like, which yeah. is kind of cool. Especially at that level of service, especially because I know you guys did front of house. It's there's no no. Yeah. Right? Not re- No. Not really. Yeah, I mean, you're trying to, like, be a liaison between yourself and, obviously, a very intense, very yeah. uh, focused kitchen. And yeah. you're trying to, like, parlay yeah. certain items. Yeah, there were many people. times that we went across the street to Dwayne Reed to buy people a specific, you know, like a Coors Light because that's what they wanted to drink, sure. per se. And so yeah. we would do things like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So being in New York at this time and then also going through the recession and also New York changing at that time, when did it start to sink in that maybe it was time to look at other cities? I think pretty early on once Daisy and I decided that we were probably going to be together for the rest of our lives and, and we really wanted to do something on our own at some point. We yeah. felt like and we both come from families that own their own businesses, whether it be a, a farm, like an agricultural background or uh, someone doing like garden design. Like We take a lot to think about doing something on our own, like us being able to call our own shots. Yeah, and I, yeah, I think seeing how hard our families worked and how hard we work in this industry and just hearing it over and over, like, if you're going to work that hard, why do it for somebody else? Sure. So. And so we didn't really feel like New York was going to be ever be a place that we could ever want to really want to do that. And so we got we married. Financially feasible. Or financially that. feasible, all those things. And so we uh, moved to Los Angeles um, in about 2013, 14, and felt like we, we really always wanted to come back up to this area. Yeah. We really liked it up here. Um, we were just never really sure what that looked like. We just weren't, I don't think we were ready to leave yeah. the city life at that time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we spent a year in LA, which is where all my family is, like I said before, and we love that, love the LA. And the LA food scene now is it's awesome. Insane. It's awesome. It's yeah, my, it's I mean, really one could argue that the epicenter may have shifted west. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure when you moved it's a good there. I, I know me, you may have taken, brought it with you. I moved in 2015, and part of part of the shift was that I felt that the restaurant scene uh, 
and the food things that were happening in food had shifted so much more creatively. Yeah, sure. um, having been through essentially like the Roberta's Bushwick yeah. revolution, yeah. I would go, okay, what's the next thing without me having to move out to Queens? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, listen, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about being on the West Coast, your short dip to Austin, and eventually opening up in Bells and Los Alamos. We have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are with Daisy and Greg of Bells in Los Alamos. So you're back in L.A., but before you made it up here, you actually made it a dip to one of our favorite cities, which is Austin, Yeah. to work at the legendary five-star restaurant, <laughs> which from the first moment I heard it was a five-star restaurant, I go, I didn't know that those could exist. <laughs> but you went to Jeffrey's. Uh, yeah. Um, but how did you wind up in Austin, which unto itself, food scene, awesome. Uh, amazing. 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 Yeah. Uh, I'll try to make this... Some, it's a good story, though. It's, it's a good story. story. So hey, it's, uh, it's, it's even it's, it's digital. Okay, go forever. Yeah. <laughs> so when we got married in New York, we decided our honeymoon was going to be driving across the country yeah. and eating through essentially heading south and then heading west. So yeah. we ate through about ten different towns. One of those being Austin. Fun. And uh, at the same time, the uh, the Bon Appetit top hot top ten came out, and there was honestly like six of the towns that we we're going through. We decided. Oh, was that the Nashville Austin year where it was like sort of just like the south, southwest? Yeah, yeah, yeah I just thought it was like, it was like Atlanta, and, and Atlanta, and Charleston, yeah. all these things. And um, there was an article about Jeffries being reopened and reimagined. Yes. And by the McGuire, right? By, by, Larry, McGuire yeah, by Larry and Tommy, Larry McGuire and Tom Mormon. Um, Who, for those who aren't familiar with Austin, are like sort of the the restaurant guys. They're like way. they're like Rich and Mario, like the Treasy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they just yeah. They take properties they and touch, they, they touch things and they make money. They yeah. print money. Yeah. 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 Nice. It is nice. It's nice. Um, so Very rare in We restaurants. had yeah. a uh, chance to eat there and it really spoke to us. Uh, I think we, looking at it and reading about it, it didn't really feel like it was going to have, have much soul to it. Yeah. And going there, it, it really did. It was something that we talked about a lot when we lived in L.A. And along the way of all the cities we went to, it was the one city we looked at each other and we're like, we could live in this town. This I is mean, cool. I mean, my wife and I say it all the time that if we could do our work in Austin, we would live there. Yeah. Live there in August and then talk to me. I did. I know, sure, you did. No, I you did. did. I went through, I did, I did a summer there. It is hot. Would you go from your but car? But there's air Yeah, no, there's a lot of air conditioning. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, not not like, it's not like the L train. Got a couple margaritas and pulvos, and you're like, okay, I don't know anything. I don't feel anything. So, yeah. so, the, the, so that, that restaurant, Jeffrey's, was kind of in the back of our mind, even when we were talking about what we wanted to do at some point personally. Um, and we had a chance. It's Daisy's birthday. We were uh, at a restaurant in downtown L.A., and this gentleman was sitting at the host stand. I'm pretty good with faces. Pretty good for my very good. Pretty good for my career. Yeah. And Larry McGuire, who I, we had not met, is sitting at the host stand. Huh. And I'm like, and I'm drunk because it's my birthday. <laughs> sure. And Greg says, Daisy, that's Larry McGuire, and I go, I don't know who that I is. Know. Do you mean Toby McGuire? <laughs> and he goes, No, he owns, he owns. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> and he goes, No, he owns Jeffries. And I go, Oh. Yeah. So uh, Daisy went over there, just said hello, thanked him for. A great time that we we in your restaurant like a year ago. We had a great time. Just keep doing what you're doing, and we kind of left it at that. And then two days later, so I was running. I was the restaurant director at the Beverly Hills Hotel yeah. at the time. And two days later, I'm going to work, and here is a Larry McQuire on his computer outside on the patio having lunch. And randomly, he was just staying at the hotel. Huh. And so I reintroduced myself. Just and we just started talking about what New York. What are you doing? In, what are you doing here? You're in New York. Austin, such and such, and uh, got to chat for a couple days while he was staying at the hotel, and about five months later, he emailed me and said, the general manager at Jeffries is leaving, do you guys want to move to Austin, and how well do you work with your wife? And uh, at that time, we both were, like, really happy in L.A., uh, the, I don't think the hotel business for both of us were really kind of our thing, mm-hmm. and um, we, for us, we didn't have a home yet, we didn't have a child, and we're like, let's just, let's let's go out there, and uh, so we moved out there, 
And uh, Daisy uh, in, was the assistant beverage director for the restaurant group. So she helped put together cocktail, beer, and coffee programs for seven of the restaurants at the time when, when they were open. And then I ran Jeffrey's and the sister restaurant next to it called Josephine House. Yeah, Josephine House is great. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so what did you learn in Austin from the restaurant scene? Because compared to New York and L.A., that's definitely the smallest. I mean, it's smaller than you think. What did you learn? What did you take from that working in a culture like that? A lot. Um, we Yeah, we learned, I think, it was equally as important to what we're doing now as per se or yeah. working in Gramercy or whatever. Um, and uh, it, I, what we really learned from Tom and Larry and the working in that team is how important branding is. Yeah. Um, and how important uh, social media is. And they have an incredible attention to every detail in a restaurant. Of course, the food in all the restaurants is great, and that is important to any restaurant. But it also is important, like, what pen you sign your check with and what uniforms look like. and What your sweatshirts look like. What your sweatshirts what, look like. What, you, what the scent of the bathroom candle is. Just, just things like that is is what sets um, restaurants that all have good food apart, you know? Well, especially to, nowadays, and we'll get to this a little bit, especially being in a town like Los Alamos. Yeah. How do you get people to know about your restaurant who are not coming through this town? Yeah. Right. Uh, because you're pretty much, if you're on your way here, you know it exists, so that's already done. <laughs> but for the people who aren't on their way here, how do people get to know about it? Right. Um, when did you start thinking about coming back to the Central Coast? Like, when did the time at Austin start to run out and you start thinking about... Uh, when we had our son. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Your CEO. This is when we had the CEO, Henry. Yeah. Um, you know, we... I think we also, we hit a certain ceiling at McGuire Mormon for ourselves. Yeah. You know, they're doing insane things and, you know, they're going in... At, yeah. At the end of the day... We're, you know, you're 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 part of a, a think tank that's helping put something together, and really, our jobs, as always, are still going to be to engage in that decision, not necessarily always a, a part of that decision. Right. You can say, "Here's we, what we I we think we should do," and they, and they and they rightfully so, as like the owners or people who are in the executive yeah. level, like that's great. We're going to do this, and, and then every once in a while, you're one of your ideas yeah, makes yeah, it through, and which makes sense. Like it, it's just yeah. how it works, and you you can't really take you can't get offended by it, but at a certain point. Uh, we felt and we feel like we can make decisions on certain things and we don't want to have anyone tell us no. Yeah. Um, and then our son being born was really helped just kind of like push that along. We uh, knew we wanted to have him be raised on the West Coast. My family's from Oregon, so they are it's a quick flight to, from Portland to Santa Barbara. Yeah. Uh, Daisy's uh, parents are hugely supportive of what we do and we just wanted to... And we, and we love this area. We kept thinking about... Anytime that we were in Texas or in Austin and we had some time to maybe take to ourselves, like, we would just come back here. Yeah. Um, so yeah. how did Bells start to become a reality? Because for those who've never been to Los Alamos, there's four restaurants, and the idea of opening up a fifth restaurant, I feel maybe not be looked fondly upon yeah. by other people, but you guys lucked into the fact that one of those four restaurants was closing. Right. So how did that happen, and how did you get in the um, mix? Well, I... I have to give my dad credit. He's always uh, moving and shaking and uh, looking for opportunities for, he's a, we call him the idea man. Um, and we had already um, looked at, at uh, opening a restaurant in Los Olivos. Uh, my parents were able to purchase a property that is currently a restaurant there. Um, and that was kind of what we were moving forward on. Things 
just didn't go the way that we thought they were going to go. We, I don't remember exactly if, if um, my dad heard that this restaurant had gone up for sale or whatever, but we came up here and had lunch, started chatting with the, the owners at the time, John and Jamie, and um, it just moved very quickly from there. I mean, we sat here and... I anytime I sit in a space, I look and go, okay, well, I would change this, and do yeah. this, and and we just kind of saw it, and um, that's how it happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, we moved here in in November, October, November, October, November and the restaurant was reopened by the following March. That's amazing. Yeah, we had already kind of started to put together like a pitch deck for another concept, and then we, so we had kind of gotten our wheels turning a little bit on like how to kind of put those things together for say an investor package or just kind of in general like what a concept would be. And then with Jamie and John, who were looking to retire, they were motivated. To, they didn't. They were not motivated really by um, by money, I guess, in a way. They were looking to try and find two people who were really kind of looking to take on the, the legacy a little bit of this town and kind of keep moving it forward. I would say, and we all got along very well. Uh, we all knew a lot of the same people, and uh, it just felt very natural. And um, we were able to move very quickly. And you seemed like you were able to integrate yourself into the community very well. Like, you have Bob's bread here, you have Lo-Fi wine, you know, what, it seems like it was very yeah. open arms. It wasn't, I, I think we uh, just through serendipity or whatever, there, there we are, there is this wave, new wave of something happening in this town. Uh, it's been coming for a long time and the, the foundation has been built by Flatbreads and by Jesper at, at Plenty. Charlie's. 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 Uh, the Alamo, all those things. Um, but within five months, we opened, the Skyview opened, Bodega opened, and um, it's just, and low, oh, and then Lo-Fi recently yeah. opened too. And we all, I think, are, as Greg constantly brings up to people, the street uh, has a lot of, um, small businesses and they're all owner operator ran like we're all here on the street all the time i mean being in such a small town i know we talked about it earlier about social media is that the biggest way that you get the word out or like how how do you really build beyond what is a very small community that is very transient as well you know i i think that it's kind of a little bit of both um in the sense of you're trying to stay very local or in, in the sense of people who live in St. Anne's Valley all the way. You know, we get people who come and dine here for lunch and for dinner from as far south as Santa Barbara on a daily basis to San Luis Obispo yeah. up north. You know, we talked about it last night a little bit. What really has been super helpful uh, is there's been a few new businesses that have come in, say like the Skyview yeah. and the Bodega. So it gives a sense, it gives a chance for a major market like Freelancer to be like, to oh, group like, us all together. Oh, so yeah. this is it's a, a, it's a, it feels like a movement. Yeah. Oh, like I can, this is an easy narrative to, to put yeah. down on paper. You're going to come up here for, you know, it takes a two hour drive and you get to stay somewhere for a couple days and here are some new business, like here's a new restaurant, mm-hmm. here's a new tasting room. Um, and the 101 freeway. The 101. has to be one of the biggest for us. I mean, we are right off the freeway. Yeah. People are constantly driving from L.A. to San Francisco. Yeah, honestly, it's that, that Chevron gas station probably gets us more business than anything yeah. down the street. Because I mean, it's huge. It's that's, huge. That's a big part of people it. People are like, oh, like, they'd walk in and they'd be like, I've never been in this town, but I had to stop, for, I had to, I had to yeah. stop for gas. Like, what is this place? Yeah. Uh, I know. It feels like magic. It feels like <laughs> magic when you get off there. So uh, as you creep up on year one. Yep. Uh, What's in the future? What do you see going forward? Like, what's what would you like to see happen? How would you like to grow? Um, yeah, I think for us, it, it's still kind of trying to remain 
consistent with with what we're doing from from our food standpoint. I yeah. think this next year will really kind of give us an idea of how much and the kind of volume and just the kind of people that are going to be coming through this town. Um, just having one year in, obviously there's more exposure to this town than it was last year, I would say, and it just keeps kind of growing and growing. I think we we just want to keep putting out food and hospitality that we're proud of that people appreciate here, which they do, uh, which is awesome. And I, I think getting a chance to hopefully convey some of the information that we've learned over the course of our 15 years working in restaurants for people who maybe have never, like, not to say they've never left the San Andreas Valley, like, you get to talk to people about great varietals and steps of service that they may not be exposed to um, in certain ways. And I, I think that you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, what McGuire Mormon kind of taught us. And it's really been really from the moment that we were working for Chef Keller, per se. Like, we want to give people kind of this, it's about how people feel when they're in the restaurant. Like, this emotional connection is really important. And you really want people to feel like when they leave the door, like when they leave the restaurant, they're like, I like how I felt when I was there. Yeah. And the next time that I want to feel that way, I want to come back here. And that's what you want to do is give something like a sense of place and make people feel like it's like it's a comfortable place to be, but you're still putting out really good food and and have a good time with it. Awesome. Now, one last question before we go. If people like yourselves have dreams of opening up a restaurant in a small town like this, all across America, wherever like that, what is like the one piece of advice that you would give them before they open? Live with your in-laws? No. Uh, I, I think if you want to open a restaurant better if you have some experience in restaurants but also just if you're going to open your own restaurant and you want it to be around for a while expect to be there all the time yeah and that's really as i see it and we've worked in restaurants for a long time for a lot of different people like the successful ones have owners operators they grind. that are there yeah my favorite places that we go to like friedman's back in la yeah. Jonah and Nick are always there. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Uh, you, you have, and, you, no, yeah. and you're never overqualified to mop the floor no. or or bust a table. Like it, just like you have to do all that, all that stuff to, to make it happen. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank if you. People want to visit or see you online or get some sweet merch. Where can they go? Uh, you can go to uh, bellsrestaurant.com, uh, or you can check us on Instagram, which is where I spend most of my time at this yeah, point. Very fast with the response. Good, thank you. Uh, uh, Bells Los Alamos is our Instagram. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We have another song from the archives and then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Jimmy Carboni, and I'm the host of Beer Sessions Radio here on HRN. My show is an audio ale salon celebrating the world of craft beer, cider, food, and more. Through discussions with industry insiders and knowledgeable beer fans, my friends and I explore every aspect of the brewer's craft, from grains to pint glass and tasting to toasting. You can find Beer Sessions Radio wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. We are here at Danger Bird Record Studios in Silver Lake. It has been raining for too long in Los Angeles, but we all got out of the house I today. I love it. You love it? Yeah. We are here with Noen. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Hello. Hey. Are you really a fan of the... I mean, look, it's I'm a... Very, it's rare, you know, so it's like it's just, it's like a, a holiday. Not rare enough this year. Yeah. No. Yeah, I... And I you, have a, you and I share something in common because we have a... Yeah. Dan, you have a 10-month-old ten ten month baby. Your baby was born the day after mine. It's true. And yeah. one day inside of the weekend is fine. Yeah, but it's mm. it's torture. <laughs> it's torture. Yeah. Um, you know, as a as a new dad, uh, did that affect the music or being in a band? Or how, how does that shift the dynamic at all? Yeah, totally. I mean, I feel like we, we definitely... I had a conversation with uh, Danger Bird about, like, release date and trying to have as much time home with my son before we start touring. Oh, yeah. So that affected that. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, like, my wife's extremely supportive and um we both have like kind of freelancey work schedules so we're easy it's easy to like move around each other and then also we're both from here so we have like family support systems in town and stuff yeah having that family support support system is it's crucial it's crucial yeah it's wild there was a band you know band, will dorado uh-uh. there was a band there they were living in la but all of them were from the same part of the midwest and they all moved back yeah so that like because they had families and, yeah. and yeah, they were smart. younger dudes and yeah. they, their wives were like we love you but yeah. We need support. Yeah. yeah. Um, super happy you're here. Now, being from Thank L.A., uh, growing up, being in so many bands, for those who are a little unfamiliar with the current state of the L.A. music scene, especially the one that you're in, can you give us a walkthrough of, like, what, where are you guys playing, where are you guys, who are you running with? Yeah, sure. Um, band-wise, as far as, I don't know, I don't feel like there's much of a scene band-wise right now. Um, I'm also just old now, so, like, mm. I, I, I feel like you, like, you, you think it's not ten month year old kid? Yeah, so like I feel like it might not be there, but I could also just be an old guy who's not like out at the shows as much as I used to be. But um, we play at like the hi hat, the bootleg, um, Moroccan lounge a couple times. There's like I feel like there's like an abundance of clubs right now to play. So at. many. There's so many clubs to play at right now, and there's a lot of really good ones. Um, and then band wise, I feel like we hang out with. Criminal hygiene the most because yeah. they're most they, of the bands we used to hang out with make way more money than us. They start creeping to the west side. Yeah. <laughs> they all got houses in Burbank. Yeah, they keep moving yeah. like, like, oh, I'm in La Brea, or it's like, oh, I'm yeah. off the 134. You're like, dude, come on, <laughs> come on, it's off the 110. Yeah. Um, so for those who are unfamiliar with No Win, what's the uh, short and dirty history? How'd you guys look at each other in the eyes and say? Let's make something together. It slowly ha- it's like I started doing No Win as a solo project in like 2015 maybe and I was like I was just out of a band that I was in for a long time with like really close friends that I know since high school. Do you want to shout them out? 
Um, the band or the dudes? Either. Um, the band was now. called Brown and Blue, and uh, it was like my friends Ricky and Ray. And uh, there was a series of different Anthony's who played drums for us. They were all cool Anthony's. Who's Anthony? Who's Anthony? Yeah, who's it? My drummer. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, he was, uh, so like, that was a cool band. And I just finished that and I wanted to do something like simple and alone. And so I made like the first No and EP dirty. But David's played on everything that No. He's like, he's the, uh, like, the other half of the band that's been there since the very beginning. And then we had, I had like different drummers playing on different stuff. Jeff played on some of the earliest no one stuff, but I was just going like each song I'd get a different drummer to play and record it. And then Juan, I don't even know when Juan came along. It's been a while though. We just like kicked it, Danny and I, like through mutual friends and stuff. And then he hit me up at the blue and was like, hey dude, you want to play guitar and some like fun, like rock stuff? And I honestly hadn't played shows in forever or even really played in a band like maybe five years. So I just leaped the opportunity. What made you put it down and then want to pick it back up? Sorry, I think just you just get busy i was into production like i yeah. thought i was gonna be like a you know production coordinator or producer sure. or something and and then but guitar was like my first love so as soon as daniel was like yo dude you want to come shred and i was like yeah what is that process like mentally for writing songs by yourself not really checking in with anyone but yeah. then inviting people in and not just inviting people in who are just going to be yes men. Yeah. But knowing that you want to invite people in to have creative foils or bring their own influence. Yeah. I, I, it's good. I feel like I've always, re- I'm, I've always worked that way. I feel like I, I really like collaboration. So, like, I'll make, like, a demo with, like, MIDI drums or something, you know, and, like, a really whack bass line. And just, like, but all I'm trying to get is, like, the bulk of the song down. Sure. And then I get to show it to people who I think are all really good and figure out what they want to do. And, like, you know, David's like one of my favorite musicians I've learned so much from him and his his, his musical projects are so good so it's like it's cool because it feels like I don't know I feel like I get to get my hands off of it in a way that it makes me like the song more than if it's just something I did alone you know because then you get to hear like oh fuck he's killing it right there like you know what I mean there's these great moments yeah it's great when you can get part of the creative process off your shoulders yeah and let someone come in and own it yeah and also like you get to borrow everybody's talent which is like like I'm not going to shy away from the fact that like you write a song on guitar alone it can be super boring and it's like moments that everybody else creates in it that make a, like something bigger than I could have ever you know yeah yeah um, well speaking of bigger moments can we hear a song yeah let's do it what do you want to play first we're gonna play Shelly Duvall shout out yeah he quit drinking five months ago <laughs> uh, this is coming off the new album right yeah this is on our first record first full length record that's coming out on Danger Bird on March 22nd it's called Downey.
The night seems to tear at my already bleeding feet And I wish I knew your body pressing up against me Mm. So let's talk about the new album. Yeah. First album. Mm-hmm. How's that feel? Crazy. Super good. I'm excited. Um, I like really wanted to have the experience of like making the first No Win record be like make like a proper making a record experience where like finding Dangerbird and Aaron from Dangerbird like helping us to work with Dangerbird. Um like gave us that opportunity and it was rad to get to like sit down and really make a record all the way through with the intention of it being this one big thing. So not just I'm recording songs in my bedroom and yeah. then we put it together and it's like, oh, here's 10 songs in the last 12 years. Yeah. And some of that is this, like I wrote a lot of these songs a while ago and they're kind of pieced together from the first two EPs, some of them. But I feel like we, I always like purposely recorded this band pretty lo-fi. I like, we have a studio um, so I've always had the opportunity to record it well, but I, I felt like it was more important at the time for me to just like bang them out in this like lo-fi, dirty way. And now we got to like really give them the treatment. I thought they always wanted. Ooh. Yeah, it's the treatment. Treat. The treatment. The treatment. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I just got to nerd out and go crazy for a month in the studio and like obsess over parts and pieces. And hire a guy who's very good at mixing. Rock oh yeah, records to mix a rock Shout record. Him out. Yeah, uh, John Goodmanson mixed it and he killed it. And it's like. That was another, it's like the same kind of thing as working with a band where it was cool to get hands off the record, uh, give it to this dude who's way better than I am at mixing, I think. And uh, when you, I got it back, I was just like, oh, like it just, I, I, I can listen to it without cringing and thinking like, I should have turned the bass down. I should have done that. Like, I can just listen to it and think it's like, yeah, it's great. Oh yeah. Finishing, professional finishing of any project and then having someone else come in who's not as emotionally invested, who can just look at it from just a complete production point of view, is so rad. It's incredible. And it frees you to not hate it. Yeah. (laughs) But also it allows you to deliver something, step away, Mm -hmm. and then it gets delivered back to you and you go, did I, wow, did I make that? Yeah, totally. That sounds very good. (laughs) Yeah, it was a very nice moment when I got Mixes back from that. the album takes its name from where you grew up? Where I grew up, yeah. Yeah, Downey, California. Where's Downey, California? 13 miles south of downtown L.A. Okay. Like the suburbs, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Would you trek into L.A.? Uh, yeah, when I was a kid, like, you'd come to shows up here, like, no one's going to play Downey, you know, so I'd, like, drive up to It's a LA. classic San Francisco, L.A., Downey, yeah. West Coast tour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just got to get that Downey Avenue theater gig. Oh, man. You know, did you really tour if you didn't play Downey Avenue theater? Yeah, did you ever really did tour? Did you ever really tour? <laughs> um, but you would come in. Would you, yeah. Would you grub, too? Would you come in and, like, eat? I'd go, no, I'd go, like, come to, like, shows, like, mostly, like, go to The Smell, go to oh, The Echo, or, yeah, or, like... Pair space a little later. Um, yeah, I just go to shows up here and, and hang out. And then, like, I made friends who were, like, from suburbs on the other end, like North L.A. So oh. I'd drive past L.A. to go hang out there, and then they'd take me to places. Uh, I don't know. I just felt like the city was always, like, a place to go. I always love those old stories about the punks in L.A. Uh, you know, when they would talk about taking four buses to go hang out. Yeah, insane. Instead of just hopping on, you know, the queue or something like that. Like, <laughs> punks. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, buses suck here. Yeah. I remember the first time I came out here, I took a bus. Yeah. And people looked at me that I was nuts. I mean, it's... it's, I'm still rocking the Metro. Yeah, it's cool, and they work, but, like, I feel like... They definitely come. Yeah, like... They always come. It's just late and weird, and then, like, it takes long... Like, I I live in Glassell Park, and I took the bus to Highland Park not that long ago to go, like, have lunch with someone. It was, like, a 35-minute bus ride. Yeah. And that's, like, 
a fucking five minute drive. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm cursing. Am I no, it's fine. Okay, cool. Sweet. No rules. Shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's just they, they just take a long time. Um, naming a album, especially your first album after the place you grew up. Mm-hmm. Do you feel a responsibility to represent the town as a whole, or is it just? <laughs> I guess what the yeah. town meant to you, because obviously, yeah, growing I, up and being a punk in a smaller town, yeah, is going to have its different uh, <laughs> memories, yeah, for sure. Um, no, I feel no obligation to represent Downey. Um, sorry, Downey. Sorry, um, Downey. Coming for I, you. Lo- I love Downey, but like, no, I don't really feel that. I think it's more like. I guess representing what it meant to me, which I think if I spoke to a bunch of people, like my family and people I grew up with in Downey, would be bizarre. Yeah. I feel like I have my own take on it. Is this your first step into getting into city council? Like, yeah, this is sure. like, this is actually, this, I'm <laughs> announcing like, my, I'm announcing my campaign this is for great. Downey. They've been sharing yeah. our videos. Yeah, the city council members are rocking some Downey videos. So. Uh, I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's yeah. really cool. You know, I mean, how many towns get a whole album named after them? Yeah. I, I wish, like, this is just a bad side of my brain, but now I wish there was, like, some really mean digs at Downey just because then they're, like, sharing. <laughs> but it's not. It's, like, sweet. I like that place. Yeah, but that's, I mean, yeah. you know, what if uh, one day the mayor comes out and he just he's pulling a track for his new election campaign? Yeah, man, dude. I don't think you even run. You run. You do run for mayor. Downey's mayor, I think it's, like, they rotate city council it's, members into the mayor. Oh, uh, what is that? His cousin? It's like, yeah, no. It's I don't a, know. Torrance has heated mayoral elections. Yeah. <laughs> it gnarly in Torrance, yeah. I can't remember what town. It's too political. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With local local yeah. mayoral campaigns. Yeah. Um, there was some band whose mayor just died, and the ma- their mayor was a dog. Oh, oh Idlewild. Idlewild. Yeah, yeah. 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 Love that. In California? Yeah. It's the best yeah. damn mayor. Right the best damn mayor. Good <laughs> yeah. boy. Yeah. Good boy. <laughs> <A> real good <laughs> boy. Certified good boy. A fine good boy. Um, all right, you guys want to play next song? Yeah. Uh, what do you got for us? This is called Endless Scan. Okay. It's, all right, it's also off the record. They're all going to be off the record. But that's great, though. Yeah. Yeah, when we come back, we're going to talk about the anticipation of that first that first baby. All well, right. I guess technically your second baby, but first musical baby. First musical baby. All right, here we go. No win on Snacky Tunes. One sec, Jeff. I'm just going to turn this up. At Dangerbird Record Studio on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
Shred City. <laughs> Which most people didn't know is the nickname of Downey. That's Downey's nickname. That's yeah, our town. Yeah. It's one of the burbs. Yeah. One, <laughs> uh, so first album's coming out. And yes. what is that like putting out the first? What's the anticipation like? I just like, I think right now, the anti- oh, dirty cables. Uh, I think right now the anticipation is just for touring. I'm excited for the record to come out and have people like react to it and see if anyone wants to listen to it and <laughs> just like go through that. Um, but I'm like already proud of it. You know what I mean? Like I feel like getting to finish it, hear it back and having songs start trickle out from it. Like. I'm already stoked. I'm super proud. I'm just excited to like play it for people and see what it does out in the world. I have to say, I am sick of single-only bands. Yeah, sure. I really, really get bummed out when I'll hear a song, mm-hmm. and then I dig into the album, and I go, oh boy, yeah. it's not really an album. Yeah. So I'm pumped that you guys are putting out an yeah. album but what is the pressure in putting together 10 songs that can all stack up together when, realistically, today, all you really need is a single to yeah, go out and tour? For sure. Um, I don't know. I guess I try not to think about it too much. Uh, I feel like it's there, but also the, the luxury of it being a first record is there is like a little bit of, like, you know, some of the songs are from the first No Win EP ever, and I, I got to re-record them. So like, I feel like it takes some of the pressure off because I feel like I had plenty of time to wrangle these 10 songs together. Um, but, you know, I like it. <laughs> Sounds good. I mean, a lot of people argue that the first album is you have a whole life yeah. to write that first exactly. album. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the second album is like, six months. Yeah, you got a couple months. Um, but I feel that that anticipation or knowing that you had time to make it, how do you then prepare to go out on the road? Because... I mean, I know you've played L.A., but now you're away from the fan base, you're away from home. Yeah. Where do you prep for that? Um, We're just going to practice a lot, and I'm just super... (laughs) I feel like we're also really lucky. The tour we get to start this record on is with Swerve Driver and Failure. Shout out. Yeah, so it's like, it's going to be super fun that we get to play to these big rooms. So, like, it does take some... I'm really happy, like, the first thing we're going out to do isn't, like, us trying to solo headline tiny clubs around the country. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Are you going to open up the pit? We're going to open up the pit. I doubt it. I feel like everyone will, like, break something if we open up the pit. We also not a pit band, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. It depends who... I mean... (laughs) You can pitch pitch just about anything. Yeah, man. Get a good windmill going. Maybe a stomp. That first Regent show, remember when we... Like, the first song we played, those kids went nuts. And then they realized quickly, like, oh... Oh, these guys are sad and chill. Uh, (laughs) More chill than that. Yeah, uh, we played... Yeah, like, that was... That yeah, was my first show. That was Guan's first show as we yeah. played the region opening for Fiddler. But I, and that was like super fun. Yeah. But I also feel like that's just like a powder keg waiting to go off. Like if I played an acoustic guitar hard enough, that crowd would have. Well, I guess that's sort of my point is that yeah. those kids will would, you know, slam to anything. Yeah. yeah. Swerve so Driver Failure fans, I feel like are gonna be like not like if, if we can get them to nod their head without like a disappointing look on their face, we've won. You've you know? won. Yeah. If they play that road rash <laughs> song, I'm going crazy. <laughs> you know that? You know about that? We no. Found out, we found out they uh, they had a song on Road Rash, the video game. It's a oh. yeah. yeah. I'm a very big Road Rash fan. It's very game. big. Yeah, it's a very it was a very good video game. How long <clears throat> can you wait to bring that up? What? Without looking like a That's super fan, like boy. night yeah. one. I think like, like, right away. like night one, just be like, "Yo, Road Rash, what's up? Do give yeah. me the deets." It's yeah. just gonna be like someone called us and said, "We," and you're like, "Oh, okay." No, it's not even that. <laughs> it's someone, someone called our manager. Yeah, I didn't even know it was in there. Yeah, it's like not gonna be. Fun. They're probably gonna be like, "I don't like video games." I'm like, "Cool, I'll see you guys later." Cool, <laughs> cool, 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 cool. Uh, so this being the first album and working on it and pouring so much into it and yeah. being it so personal, 
should people not like it? Yeah. Or people love it. How do you not how do you not take it personally? Cuz you got to you got to weather both sides of, yeah. the, of the pole because you can't be like fuck those people who don't like it. Yeah, no, but I love right. the people who love it. Yeah. You um, shut off your internet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's step one. Yeah. Step two is get, a, like, a prescription of something. Yeah. yeah. There's a whole... Yeah. Just mellow there's a, out. There's a classic rock progress. <laughs> oh, you, you just turn the comments off, yeah. like, Fire Festival? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I'm not even worried about it. I don't... I, like, I care. I want people to love it. But at the same time, like, I feel like you can't get even a little bit... Per- if you think about it a little bit personally, you're already screwed. Like, you're going to go down a rabbit hole. Well, like, how many years of bad reviews have you calloused from? That's you know true. I mean? We've also like, all been, like, uh, crapped on before. Dance forever <laughs> been crapped on, you know? Like, yeah. It's yeah. part yeah. of the course, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so... How, how will we uh, deal with acceptance? Yeah, that's... I don't know how I'm going to deal with acceptance. Oh, that's yeah. true. I mean, actually, that's a lot harder for me yeah. to understand. Okay, yeah. so let's say you go out. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and people like the... I mean, the, yeah. the songs that I've heard so far rip. Thank the live you. stuff rips. Thank you. Uh... How do you deal with people going, I really like it? I'm not no not just crying. Yeah, I don't know. In front of fans. I don't know. I'm just going to get really happy. It's just, it's really nice to hear it. And I don't know. I have no idea. It'll be cool. We'll find out. Hopefully. Oh, you <laughs> will. say, yeah. like, you've done a good job. I go, I'm sorry. I could have done probably better. <laughs> <laughs> the next time. I'll work hard. I'll work hard. And I'll come, come back. This rumor is terrible. Yeah, I shouldn't see too many I'll yeah. come back. We'll work hard. I promise. I, pro- I promise. Second. What was, I'm sorry. I missed that. What was that first part? <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. So, uh, before we get the, to the last song, uh, with everything coming out, what's yeah. the one thing that you hope people take away from this album? that they might miss without having the insight from the guys who made the album? Oh, man. I don't know. I I really don't know. I've, I've thought about that question. I've been asked about people taking stuff away before, and I, I really don't know. I, it, like, I can't even think about... It's, like, really hard for me to imagine being on the receiving end of that, like, being just a listener. I hope they just think it's, like... I don't know. I really don't even know what to say. I feel like I want it to just sound like a passionate rock record. Mm. Like the things that I liked when I grew up and I want it to not be like, oh, this band just like, I would like if the vibe wasn't like, they just slapped this thing together. I want it to sound like it took work and it was cool and it's like about passion and caring about every little bit. You know what I mean? That an album like this makes it into a rotation out of the first month yeah. of its release. Yeah, and I want it to sound just like not like a bunch of goofballs making rock music. It's like, no, we care. Like, this is like cool things that we really love and we really care about, you know? I'd like it to read as passionate. Well, I think it does. Cool. And thank you guys <laughs> for making time. Uh, if people want to see you on tour, get the album, where can they check out? Um, we have an album release show at the Highland Park Ebell in Highland Park, Los Angeles, on March 21st. Um, and then we leave for tour April. I think we have our fr- we are playing like a show in Omaha, but then we meet up with the Swerve Driver um, Failure Tour in Milwaukee on April 7th. And then we're getting back to L.A. at the Fondo with them on like the 24th of April or something. So all our tour dates are at nowin.la, and all of our music is on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, wherever. It's all over streaming. And you can pre-order the record from DangerbirdRecords.com. And you got Danger, vinyl, Dangerbird.com. too. Yeah, we do. I haven't held it yet. It's on its way in. But that comes out on March 22nd, but the pre-orders are up at Dangerbird's website. Beautiful. What's the last song we're going to hear? Carbar. Carbar. Car this just came out on Friday. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you to Nowin. Thank you to Dangerbird Records. Thank you to Andy. Thank you to Aaron, Lisa, everyone. This is No Win on Heritage Radio Network. <laughs> 
I'd just like to thank Juan's Cables for today's uh, noise yeah, performance. Today's, today's yeah, today's noise brought to you by Juan's Cables. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Here's one last song on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.